at this Savior that provided everything, all of our needs, who provided our salvation today. As we continue in Zechariah, Zechariah chapter 10, we're just going to look at the first, we're not going to do the whole chapter. We're just going to look at the first five verses. And we're going to have two very direct points. I want you to see, even as I read this, verses 1 through 5 of Zechariah chapter 10, I want you to see how verses 1 to 3, he's going to give us some contrast between the Lord who is our shepherd and false shepherds and dead idols. He's going to contrast those two things. And then in verses 45, he's going to tell how God actually cares for us how the Lord our shepherd takes care of his sheep. Let's read, starting in verse 1. Ask rain from the Lord in the season of the spring rain from the Lord who makes the storm clouds, and he will give them showers of rain to everyone the vegetation in the field. For the household gods utter nonsense. And the diviners see lies. They tell false dreams. They give empty consolation. Therefore, the people wander like sheep. They are afflicted for lack of a shepherd. My anger is hot against the shepherds, and I will punish their leaders. For the Lord of hosts cares for his flock, the house of Judah, and will make them like a majestic steed in battle. From him shall come the cornerstone, from him the tent peg, from him the battle bow, from him every ruler, all of them together. They shall be like, a, like mighty men in battle, trampling the foe in the mud of the streets. They shall fight because the Lord is with them, and they shall put to shame the riders on horses. Amen. Sometimes uh, it's hard to tell the truth from a lie. Sometimes it's hard to distinguish uh, in our minds uh, truth from falsehood. Sometimes it's hard to pick out between, uh, in our minds the difference between God and idols. So Zechariah, here's what I want you to see. Zechariah, you know what a police lineup is? Where you line up all the suspects, all the usual suspects. This is what Zechariah does. He lines us up, Yahweh, false idols, false shepherds. And in, in this uh, lineup, he's going to say, turn to the left and turn to the right and turn around. and he's, He wants you to get a real good look at all the suspects because he's going to compare these. Yahweh, the Lord our shepherd. False shepherds that don't really care for you and will leave you to, to destruction. Dead idols that are never going to be able to provide for you. And so he's going to have them turn. He's going to contrast them. He's going to specifically look at Yahweh in great detail and how he cares for his sheep. And so Zechariah is saying in verses 1 through 5, I want you to get a real good look. Look at who God is. Look who these dead idols are. 
look who these false shepherds are. And friends, at the end of the day, he wants us to say, oh, the true God is so wonderful. And he provides all of our needs. And I hope that'll be our testimony as we leave. So at the end of chapter 9, where we left off, uh, he was talking about that special day of blessing that's coming, where there's, the whole world is going to be renewed with grain and new wine. It's going to just abound. It's going to be marvelous. That messianic period, the Lord's coming, is going to rule over the earth. And he goes in chapter 10, and it's, well, does that, even though that's in the future, what's it look like now? How does it affect us now? What's, it, what's going on now? So long before the new heavens and the new earth ever get here, is it possible in this broken world to get a little goodness, a little foretaste of goodness? And so, verse 1, here's the key to blessing. Even, even the simple blessings of rain, crops, there is a trusting, isn't it? A dependent prayerfulness to God. Look to God. Let him provide for you. That God answers prayers. You may need to hear that today. God answers your prayers. Keep, you pray to him. Look to him. Uh, you pray for rain. Then what happens? The clouds break. The, he sends showers. He gives food. Uh, food to eat. Crops to sell. He cares for his people. In his mercy, they cry out to him, and he answers them. And there's this complete life of dependence and prayerfulness that's there in verse 1. Uh, we depend on God for everything. I hope you know that. We ask for rain. He gives showers of rain. He gives vegetation on the field. We pray. He says, Zechariah says, you pray for rain, you get rain. You get daily bread. You get mercies from God. That's there in verse 1. But that's not the main point of verse 1. The main point is this, right? Here, it's our duty. So when we pray, we're praying to God, and we know God answers us when we pray. But did you notice the contrast? False idols can't answer your prayers. Dead idols are unable to answer your prayers. He turns in this contract. So the, the path of blessing is prayerfulness. But there, sadly, there's another way to live that God's people are very common to. Verse 2, the household gods utter nonsense. Diviners see lies. They tell false dreams. They give empty consolation. These... So these household gods, they were uh, little statuettes, uh, little idols that would go in the home. And sometimes it was for pagan deities. Sometimes it was for ancestors. They would represent like your own ancestors. Uh, they would be used for uh, telling the future, divination. They would also be used for, uh, so if you're wanting to have a baby, you would pray to one of these little household gods for a baby. Fertility rituals, things like that. And they had, these little household gods had been a temptation in Israel's history. And in fact, it was part of the reason they were taken off into exile in the first place. That they, it had uh, been 
co-opted from the nations around them. They brought these things in and they used them in their own homes. And then they're taken off into exile into Babylon and Persia. And now they've come back to Jerusalem again. And when they've come back, they've brought these household idols, these household gods with them. Uh, the effects of Babylonian and Persian empire, the paganisms of, uh, of other nations has so infected the lives of God's people, um, the dominant values of the world in which they lived in, the culture that they lived in, has so affected them, it is there. It snuck in. It, it seeped in. It was there. It's, it led their hearts astray. It, it, it permeated their lives. Now I want to say, it was not that they had rejected God, the God of their fathers. It wasn't that they rejected him and then replaced him with these little idols. It was more subtle than that. They would say, I believe in the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. We believe in one God, the Lord who has brought us out of Egypt. We believe in, in God who delivered us and brought us through the Red Sea. And I've got these great little statues that I can pray to. If somebody in our family is going to have some children. Or if food is running short, we can pray to this little, we can pray to our ancestors, and they will care for us because we know how much they loved us. And so it wasn't just that, that they didn't just reject God or the father, their fathers. They had brought in and they adopted the paganism of the world, world around them. They had, uh, it had become the normal practice because it was the normal practice of the culture. And so along with the God of Israel, now they add to that the paganism of the world paganism of the surrounding culture. That's what's going on here. Now, I want to say, because before I go any further, if I come to your home, I do not expect to find a little grotto with little statues in the window. You will never say, like, that's Uncle Nelson over there. I don't, I don't think anybody in here does that. I understand that. Nobody, I don't think anyone practices the paganism that Zechariah is talking about. I don't think you burn incense to these little, little household gods like that. But I do not want to be too quick to dismiss what Zechariah is getting at. Because while there may not be any pagan statues in your home, there may be false gods, idols that have taken up residence in your heart. They might not be in your living room, but they might be right here. They might be in your hearts. I mean, that is what Paul says in, to those Christians in Colossae about their besetting sins. In Colossians chapter 3, 5, he says, your greed is idolatry. So no statues in Colossae, no pagan idols, just greed. This insatiable appetite for more. I've got to have more of it. I, I need more of it. He says, that's idolatry. Okay? That's an idol of the heart. Or listen to John at the end of his first letter. John su sums up the burden that he has for the readers of his letter in one very simple sentence. 
Uh, he expects holiness. He's been pointing them to holiness. And it's all summarized in this one little line. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. <clears throat> little children, keep yourselves from idols. Well, what kind of idols? Idols that go in your window to, to help with rain? Little, little statues of fat Asian guys? No, that's not what he's talking about. 1 John chapter 2, 15 to 17 says, Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life, is not from the Father, but from the world. The world is passing away with all its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. And here's the contrast again, right? Do you see it? Um, here's the real nature of idolatry. It's the practice. So you fix your deepest love, the thing that you, you love more than anything, you, the thing you cannot do without, the love that only belongs and rightly belongs to the God who made you. And you take that love and you give it to things of the world. You give it that love to someone else or something else. That's idolatry. The desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life. That's idolatry. There are heart idols. Anything you sacrifice for, you're devoting yourself to, you invest your heart's deepest affections in, that's not God, it's an idol. And so, before we just shrug Zechariah's rebuke of idolatry off, we, we should do some inventory. Do some serious heart inventory. We'd quick check of our own hearts. Are there idols lurking there? Are there our household gods? Some piece of worldliness that's crept in quietly into our lives and it abides there. And now I just keep it locked away in the shadows in the closet of my heart, do you have a pride idol? Something that just seeks approval and, and it requires a great reputation and you crave affirmation from every side and you long for praise or maybe you sacrifice your own family on the altar of work and success. Or maybe you have an intimacy idol. Like, I can't be alone. I, I, I do anything. I just don't want to be alone. I'll make any compromise. I just want to stay in a relationship. What are the idols of your heart? What are the idols that you would do anything for? Idols that you love more than you love the God who made you. Zechariah puts them alongside the Lord in this line. Here's the police lined up. Here it is. He says, take a good, long, hard look. Which one of these are going to really satisfy you? These household gods or Yahweh? Which one's going to meet your deepest need? And I don't mean intimacy. I don't mean affirmation. I don't mean ego because those are not your deepest need. 
Your deepest need, you need to be taken outside of yourself. You need to come to an end of yourself. You need some self-forgetfulness. You need to be absorbed in the goodness and the sufficiency of another. You need to do that which you were created for, which is worship the Lord who made you. And there you're going to be satisfied, and that satisfaction is not going to have any end. So Zechariah wants us to contrast God and idols. Look, look out. So verse 2, he piles up synonym upon synonym. Look, just these idols are it's absolutely bankrupt, aren't they? They're worthless. They, are, they utter nonsense. The diviners who use them, what do we know about these these diviners, well, they utter lies. All their dreams are false. The consolations are, are ultimately empty. That is the truth about the idols that we run to. All the idols that we run over, they all lie to us. They all leave us empty. They don't offer comfort. They don't provide. Uh, they rob us of joy. Whatever lie they hold out to you, they never will deliver. It... They never will deliver. They talk big, but they don't deliver. They offer you all the, your dreams, and then they cheat you of hope. And you lay broken. You trust the glittering, promising lies of the idols of your hearts. And when you give yourself to them, look what verse 2 the people wandered like sheep, and they were afflicted for the lack of a shepherd. So sex, money, reputation, appearances, drink, relationships, work, children, marriage, divorce, pornography, gluttony, whatever it is we make an idol of. And some of those things are good and lawful. Some of those things are perverse and wicked. But if we make an idol of it, friends, you will never be comforted by it. It will never be enough. It will never meet your need. It, it will never meet the, the longings of your heart. And worse than that, they'll leave you. They'll leave you every bit as forlorn and broken and lost as when you first ran to them in, in the first place. People wandered like sheep. They were afflicted for the lack of a shepherd. The idols of your heart cannot save you. They will not help you. They cannot deliver you. They cannot fix you. They are lifeless, powerless, worthless, empty, blind, and dead. Psalm 115, verse 8, it says, Those who make them become like them, and so do all who trust in them. So you're going to become like what you worship. Lifeless, powerless, worthless, empty, blind, dead. Idols scatter the sheep. They leave the sheep exposed. The predators come in. Sin comes in and devours the sheep. There's no shepherd. But what about the Lord? What about the Lord who's on our side? What about the Lord, who, the good shepherd who never deserts his flock? Verse 3 says, my anger is hot against the shepherds. I will punish their leaders, says the Lord of hosts. But he cares for his flock. Friends, that's good news. All right? He keeps going. The Lord of hosts cares for his flock, the house of Judah, and will make them like his majestic steed in battle. 
False shepherds, they all desert the sheep. They lead them to the poison of idols. But the Lord, here's the contrast, he cares for the flock. Who needs an idol when you can have God provide for you? Who needs, who needs an idol? Who, who needs a, a stupid, dead, worthless idol when you can have the living God provide all you need, all your wants? Zachariah really wants us at this point to say, what was I thinking? You ever had that moment in your life? What was I thinking? What? what? Oh, my goodness. I've been running after my lusts, and those lusts would never satisfy me. The, the more I chased them, the further down the rabbit hole it went. Further and further into bondage I went. All they ever did was lead me as if I was dumb and foolish and impotent, just like they are. And that's what they end up making you, just like they are. But the God of grace cares for you. He loves you. Look at the comparison. Ask of me. I'll give you rain. Ask me. I'll, I'll answer your prayers unlike these dumb idols. I'm the talking God. I'm the acting God. I'm the living God. I'm mighty to save. I'm omnipotent to deliver. I can satisfy your heart when no one else can. You see that? This is what Augustine said. Our hearts are restless until they find their rest in him. This is what you were made for. See the contrast? So here's the lineup. Get a good look. Compare them. Check them out as they turn. See them. Each one of them. Compare your own heart idols. I'm comparing mine even now in my head. Compare them to the Lord of hosts the shepherd of your soul who loves you, and just ask, who's going to really satisfy me? God or these idols? Second thing, verses 4 and 5. This time he doesn't contrast. This time he shows how God cares for them. So he gives three images. Look at these three images. Uh, God is going to, these shepherds, they're terrible that they've had. So God's going to send his own shepherd. And this shepherd who's coming he gives three images of this coming leader. First, this leader, the true leader, he's going to be the cornerstone. That language comes straight from Psalm 118, 22. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Jesus quotes that. Matthew 21, 42. Jesus says, that's talking about me. Isaiah chapter 28, verse 16 says, Behold, I'm laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious. Whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Uh, Peter, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 6 and 7, quotes both of those Old Testament passages and says, Hey, these things are fulfilled. Christ is the cornerstone. Christ is the leader who came. It is his atoning work. He was the stone that the builders rejected. He is the cornerstone upon which the whole structure is built. The, the church is built and receives its definitive shape and what is the pattern of what it's to look like. Jesus is that true leader. The second image, a little bit different, tent peg. I don't... You ever said, Jesus, you're my tent peg? 
That's what he says. This true leader is a tent peg. That same word was used. Uh, Isaiah 22, verses 23 and 24, to talk about uh, Eliakim, who's one of the leaders of Israel. It's in, in, in which case, the Lord says, he's like a peg. He, he is the anchor point, right? Uh, he is the one upon which... Everything is, is held in place and stable. So this true leader, the leader that God sends, he's going to be so stable and secure. All the hopes, all the expectation, all the trust, all the confidence of his people, they hang on him. Okay? He can hold it fast. He'll be an anchor for his people. He's the one who will come, Zechariah says, an anchor for your hope. He's, he's that securing hook that's going to hold fast. The deepest need of your soul, what is it? Jesus is the anchor that will hold you. You can rest on him. All your weight, all your cares, all of our faith laid on Jesus. He bears us up. He holds us up. He'll keep us secure. Third image. Here's an image we've seen before, the battle bow. We've seen this military language before, right? The spiritual conflict, the spiritual conquest, this battle. Here it is again. Jesus is going to triumph over sin, the devil, his enemies. That's the third image, this battle bow. And then there is a fourth thing. But the fourth thing doesn't deal with the leader who's coming, doesn't deal with Jesus but talks about those who will come in his wake. So with the appearing of Jesus, the true leader, the cornerstone, the secure peg, the battle bow, there is going to come an array of faithful rulers, leaders, true shepherds, and they're going to care for the flock of God. They're not going to be like those false shepherds before. The Lord's going to raise them up. So Jesus is the cornerstone, the secure peg, the, the battle bow. He is the Lord, our shepherd. John chapter 10 says, he is the good shepherd. The sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name. He leads them out. He goes before them. His sheep follow him. They know his voice. So he takes care of the flock. In, in Jesus, that's the high watermark for God taking care of his people. And how did, then what's he do? Not only does he demonstrate his love for us and lay down his life for us, the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep, man, then he gives you leaders that aren't going to lead you astray. He, he, he cares for your soul. In the wake of his coming, what's he do? He provides people under, under shepherds that aren't hirelings like Scott read about. They're not running after money. Verse 5 they're going to be mighty men in battle, trampling the foe in the mud of the streets. They shall fight for the Lord, for the Lord is with them. Did you notice that? So what would put backbone in you as a believer to stand and fight? What would put backbone when the battle heaps, heat, heats up, when opposition mounts? What would give you backbone when it's so easy? To wander after idols. What will give you backbone when the enemy's coming in like a flood and you just feel like, boy, from, you're being attacked from every side? What is going to enable uh, 
the Lord's under-shepherds, to stand firm in the evil day, having done all to stand. What's going to have you, is, is God's child, to stand in the fight? Verse 5 says it's this. It's not, you know that Jesus is with you in the fight. The cornerstone, the secure peg, the battle bow, the great shepherd of the sheep who faced the enemy down with his own life and he died for the flock, he's going to be with you to the very end of the age. So you stay in the fight. Christian, you stay in the fight. You keep fighting. Why? Because you know, he's with me. God's with me in this fight. I'm not by myself. The one who is with me is greater than he that's in the world. So I can keep fighting. I never sign a truce with sin. Why? Because God, who raised up Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, this is a doxa, we, we use this oftentimes for the benediction. He will equip you with everything good for doing his work in you, that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. So I can stay in the fight. Why? Because God's with me. The victorious God's with me. He's going to provide what I need. He is the Lord, my shepherd. Do you know that the Lord's with you? Maybe you do. You may have had moments this week where you didn't feel like he was. Um, but Christian, he's, he's with you. He doesn't leave you or forsake you. And so we sang Luther's hymn this morning. If we in our own strength confide, our striving would be losing. Were the not, not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing, Dost ask who that may be? Christ Jesus, it is he. Lord Sabaoth, his name, from age to age the same. So I can fight the battle? Why? Because he's with me. And what's that last line? And he must win the battle. He will win. How does the Lord care for his flock? He sends Jesus. He sends Jesus to care for them. He sends under shepherds. He never leaves his people. The, the, the Lord is with them. He's their model. He's their pattern. They are strengthened by the knowledge that the Lord is with them and he cares for the flock. How's the Lord provide for you? Just in your head, you can make a list. How's the Lord provide for me? Well, verse 1, I know I've He's provided rain and vegetation and food. He's done those things. Hey, those, those idols, impotent. They haven't helped you at all. God answers prayers. False idols, they don't. False shepherds, they all desert the flock. They leave, and they will leave you to the cruel results of idolatry. But God, what God do? God sent his son to rescue us. The cornerstone, the secure peg, the battle bow. It is with him that every ruler will fight and win. Why? Because Jesus is with them. So the Lord, our shepherd, he's seen in the contrast, and he's seen in his care for us. What idols are there? Do you see them in the lineup? They're cheap, aren't they? It's like cheap plastic. It's junk. It's nothing. It's not going to help you. It's not going to last. 
these little godlings that we've made in our own hearts. We've, we've given our affections to these pieces of trash. Yeah, but now turn your gaze, turn your eyes to the inc incomparable, magnificent, incomprehensible Im immensity of the grace of the living God who meets all of our needs in Christ Jesus. Turn your gaze upon the true leader. Make that comparison. What are the things that you've been running after? And what is it that God has provided for us in Christ? We, which one's going to meet the need of your heart? Make that comparison. Whatever the dearest idol is, tear it from your breast. <laughs> Be done with it. Come to Christ. Repent and look to him in faith and worship. He's the Lord, our shepherd. He provides what we need. Praise the Lord. Let's pray, shall we? Lord, you are great and glorious. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth. We ask that your Holy Spirit would write these eternal truths on our hearts. So even now, as we stand and we sing about your great mercy that's been shown towards us and sending your own Son, Lord, let our hearts explode with worship and treasure of who you are and what you have done for us in Christ. Thank you. You are our shepherd. And we need not fear even the valley of the shadow of death. For you are with us. Your rod, your staff, they comfort us. And we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.